0: Pour yourself a sweet tea, pull up a lawn chair, and turn the page with us. You're listening to Right on Mississippi, a podcast taking you inside the minds of America's most treasured wordsmiths. I'm Ebony Lamumba,
1: and Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the
0: Mississippi Book Festival, the South's
1: Literary Lawn Party. I'm Matt Sawyer, live from the Mississippi Book Festival, with wonderful author Annette Sonic clapsaddle Thank you for being here.
0: Thank you for having me, Matt. I'm excited to speak to you.
1: I think um, I need people to know the background here with with my relationship to your debut novel, mm-hmm. Even As We Breathe, which again, I will say plainly, one of the best books I've ever read. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, it was a gift to me when it came out in 2020 for Christmas. My ex girlfriend who just said, I don't know what it is about, you know, this particular story. It's a debut uh, author i've i haven't read it but i think you'll love it and uh it's been an enduring story in my life oh thank you for uh, saying that wow a, and now to live like one <laughs> county away from you <laughs> and to be here it's it's one of the best uh points of confluence
0: oh wow which, which we'll wow. talk about a
1: very wealthyian word yes uh you know it it, it kind of uh confluence is all, all about my story made project and i think writing and connecting with people uh and and one thing that i want to just get off to a to great start with is I was at uh, Lemuria, I told you a few months mm-hmm. ago and Charles Fraser was doing his reading and they asked, who are your favorite up-and-coming authors And he named you first one. <laughs> and now New York T- New York Times, Barbara Kingsolver, reading your way through Appalachia, your book shows up on that list. So even before we get into the novel even as we breathe, what does it mean to have those types of writers, Bringing up your name as someone that they admire.
0: Oh well, it's it's incredible. Um, it's something I, I definitely never dreamed of, but it is a testament to specifically Appalachia, and I think that can extend to Southern writers in general. Um, this this community of support and encouragement that is absolutely vital uh, to new writers. Um, Charles Fraser and his family. Have been there really from the beginning um, when I was just working on a draft of a manuscript, um, and they have continued to support me. Um, and then that network just expands. Um, and while I've never met Barbara King Solver, um, it's nice to have have some applause from the from way out from someone who I admire so much.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it's just and it's a testament to to you putting a story out there. I think uh, it's it's admirable. It's courageous to write a story, and it's vulnerable. But uh, the one thing that I really respect about your book is, um, you know, it was needed.
0: Mm.
1: It was yeah. a perspective that reached me all the way in, in Minnesota, and like I said, it was just very meaningful to hear hear about Cherokee and where you grew up. Um, but there's one thing to, to enter into the story. I, I want to mm-hmm. talk about one of your former students. Mm-hmm. And I read this years ago and came back to it. Uh, Colby Taylor. Mm -hmm, That's right. And he said, well, you said, for me, what you set out to do is you want to give your students a story. And that's how this started. And and he said, Colby, that he never thought he'd see so much of himself in a character as he did with County. Mm -hmm. County Sequoia, who is your your protagonist. And he said, people just don't write about people like us.
0: Mm hmm. Yep, that's absolutely true. This is the first novel published um by a citizen of our tribe, the Eastern Band of Cherokee, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um it took way too long for that to happen. Um but when you think about that, you think you know, thinking of beyond a milestone um that sometimes people applaud, which is is also strange for me for people to applaud that, right? Um if you think beyond it, though, think to how many generations of kids grew up in Cherokee, uh, North Carolina, and have never, ever seen any of themselves represented um, in a work of fiction. It's just, it's mind-blowing, and um, it's very sad, but I i hope um, that... By taking kind of that step out there um, that that students see and young people see and even adults see that their stories are valued in this world. So that's, you know, when someone like Barbara Kingsolver names the book, it also validates for our whole community that people care about our stories.
1: And I think that's yeah, that's it. It's it's the value in I mean, I you know, as a kid, if, if you don't see yourself reflected in stories. You know, identify with any of them. You start to think, "Wow, well, where do I exist? Mm-hmm. Where are my people?" And that's a question that comes up a lot with stories that are untold. Mm-hmm. Is people yeah. are searching for that, and for you to give that value and that connection. I I, I was blown away by that. Um, so I'm I'm curious with the story itself. You picked an interesting setting, uh, <laughs> time time wise, which is, was really attractive to me. I mean, it was during World War II. Mm-hmm. In Asheville, mm-hmm. which is at the time would have been much more than an hour drive, right from right. the Kuala Boundary. So, talk about how place um, and, and that setting was the uh, the one that you came up with for this story, and what you were trying to do with those two juxtaposing uh, locations.
0: Yeah, sure. So, I always say that this this is a setting driven novel, and I never imagined myself writing a setting-driven driven novel, um, but it just so happened that I had learned about the history of the Grove Park Inn in Asheville um, you know, probably just a year or so before I started writing the book, um, which is odd because I grew up in the area, and for me not to know that the Grove Park Held access diplomats and foreign nationals as prisoners of war the summer of 1942. It's actually pretty strange that I didn't know that um, until there was an article in the Asheville Citizen Times paper. And um, that really fascinated me, and I kind of held on to that fact of this you know this luxury resort turning into a prison. Um, and then I started thinking about how many other contemporary themes of identity and belonging and citizenship can we really discuss if I just turn the heat up a little bit. And mm-hmm. bring a couple of characters from the Kuala Boundary onto this property. And then we're really talking about a national story of, of displacement, of imprisonment, of um, who belongs in our country and when um, and, and how they're treated. So it, I had just several pieces kind of coming in at once, which led to um, the, the setting was everything. There's no novel without... Um, that that time period in that place.
1: Yeah, I was really blown away by that because I, I'd first learned about the Japanese internment camps mm-hmm. I and mean, concentration camps. Right. Really, let's name it uh, during World War II, and how you know some of those were on reservations. Yes. And a lot of them were in places that people wouldn't expect. I went down to Arkansas in the Delta. Mm. Ten thousand prisoners.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Almost no recognition of that, and and again, it goes back to like where are these stories? They're buried, they're mm-hmm. hidden, which plays into the the story that you told. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious though. I mean, you so much care about your community and you talk about this root system of values. You had a really good essay. I don't remember how many years ago it was <laughs> about a rhododendron and, oh. and, and, and comparing mm-hmm. how you survived as Cherokee people. Mm-hmm. So how did those or what particular root um, values were influencing the story that that you decided to write
0: sure yeah I I think when I when I think about how do I write about my community and my culture authentically the question always goes back to our core value system that we have seven core values uh in the Cherokee belief system and because I am on the spot I'm not going to pretend to to name them for you (laughs) because I'm sure I'll leave off one but but the ones that really um influenced me as a writer, um, actually first and foremost is sense of humor. Um, I think that is such a, an appropriate value for our, for our community. It's how we address conflict in a lot of ways and a lot of communities, you know, do the same. Um, so definitely a sense of humor, um, Environmental, um, sustainability is, is another, another that's paramount. So, um, I think that you can tell in anything I write that I love the place and am grateful to exist in that place, um, and that it is not ours and that we are there, um, to do our best not to harm it in any way and learn from it. So um, I would definitely think though those for this, that past novel um, are the most important. Um, and, uh, you know, we have, we just, we value both young people and, and elders and learning from them. And I think that continuum is really important as a writer. Uh, I personally always want my work to be approachable, but, um, no matter what age you are, because I think we just have a lot to learn from from the whole spectrum of of our community members,
1: yeah, wisdom isn't just held in in elders right it's right. it's in everybody right and and so valuing the whole community is is essential, mm-hmm. and to telling a good story, the environmental thing is really interesting to me because you know you said you grew up in a river
0: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean that you're you're so connected to the land and you went away for a while,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so talk about your family's story with the the grist mill?
0: Mhm. Sure.
1: And what really drew you back to say, you know what? I'm I'm going to be here for the long haul.
0: Sure. Yeah, so my family um on my dad's side was in small business in Cherokee. Um starting with his his father who was also a two-term principal chief of our tribe. And a world heavyweight wrestling champion. That was mind blowing. To me. I was like, "What?" Yeah. And uh, he, you know, he started uh, this small business in Cherokee. So really interesting character. And then my dad um, kind of followed in the entrepreneurial um, route. My dad is not a wrestler nor a politician, but um, so he you know, continued to develop um, the businesses. Uh, actually, a really funny story is that. Um, my, so one of the first businesses he started was Sanuk's Mill and Shop, which um, includes a uh, grist mill um, that uses power from the water, uh, the river, and we grind corn mill and grits and whatnot. But he chose that business because he wanted tourists to see the water mill running as they drove you know, to and from the national park, and he went over to Asheville. Um, to purchase the water wheel, he uh, it was, I think, in some kind of salvage yard or something, and he was um, paying for it and talking with the the man who had it, and the man's father came over and said. Um, you know, I had there was a, a chief from over in Cherokee that almost bought this one time. It turned out it was my grandfather. That's wild. It is just incredible that. Um, that it was the, you know, again, we were talking about how, how so many things are connected. But I think it was definitely meant to be. So, yes, I grew up in the river that feeds that water well with my cousins. Um, and um, I, I can't imagine a childhood without that. Um, so it's, it's definitely ingrained.
1: So when you went away to Yale and, and the College of William and Mary and, and, you know, a lot of people that I've realized in Appalachia, all of the states that I've been to in Appalachia, but even in Mississippi, so a lot of going and then coming home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What, what did you miss when you mm-hmm. were gone?
0: Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think that I missed, uh, the ease of coming in and out of community, um, and I think you know it may not be a difference in, in the South and the North. It just felt like I didn't know the right doors to walk in in the North. I didn't know the unspoken rules of the North, um, and I'm sure someone from the North coming south would feel the, feel the same. Um, but I, I mean, I in general though I also missed a Cherokee community. I missed being around other native people, um, that just walking into the grocery store and and whatnot. Um, I miss that sense of humor. That's very, very specific to our community. Um, and of course I miss the Smoky Mountains. I mean, there's, there's really nothing like the Smoky Mountains. There are beautiful places in, in different ways, but, um, I, I don't think I can get that out of my system.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm not even from them and I moved there and I, it's, you're going to have to rip me out. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's, it's beautiful. And there's something really magical about it, mm-hmm. you know? And um, I think that language sometimes is hard for people to, to express, but it really does. Like mm-hmm. I, I remember reading a, a Cather book once where these, uh, uh, the archbishop, they go, you know, these missionaries go out west to Taos. And, mm-hmm. and at one point he you know, wakes up and he says he only realizes that he's old when he looks in the mirror. Mm. because waking up in that land made him feel young mm-hmm. and there's some sort of restorative uh beauty oh, to the to the smokies and um yeah i don't blame him for, <laughs> for coming home especially after being in new haven i'm no new haven's great <laughs> no
0: shade in new no, haven
1: it's just not it's not even close <laughs> to the same um so i do want to talk about your experience writing and the confluence it has with mountain biking Ah, that was one of the best essays I'd probably ever read on like how to get through becoming a writer. I was like, wow, actually, this makes a lot of sense. Uh And yeah, so talk about that confluence of paths between mountain biking and writing and how one helped you with the other.
0: Yeah, well, I appreciate that, because that's probably one of my favorite essays to write. That was a situation where I got to write whatever I wanted to, which rarely happens (laughs) anymore. Uh, Sure. So about seven years ago. Um, I, the, the Fire Mountain, uh, trail system opened in Cherokee and I was working at the Cherokee Preservation Foundation and a grant for it came through, a planning grant. And that was my first entree into the world of mountain biking. And I thought those people were crazy and I did not understand this sport. Um, it seemed bizarre to me, but I was, um, we've talked before i was a a basketball player mm-hmm. um and i had just i'd had two kids and i just wanted to find my athletic self again and so i started talking more and more to the people involved with fire mountain um and learning more about that sport and i was like well i'll give it a try I run a bike anyway long story short I got absolutely hooked on mountain biking. Um, I'm a bit obsessed. Um, doesn't mean I'm a great writer. It just means I'm obsessed. And um, I started noticing that it changed the way that I wrote. Um, everything from what I started noticing around me, because as a writer, you have to notice very different things. Um, I started thinking more about rhythm even on the line level and I would work lines over and over in my head because I can't write them down while yeah. I'm on the bike and I don't have a good memory. But it, it's kind of a, um a blessing because if a really great line comes to mind and I want to remember it, you know, at least until I get to the top of the mountain or whatever. Uh, Then I just work it over and over and over as the tires are spinning until it's clean. Like, you know, and some of my best lines come from that experience. It's also great for problem solving and like a lot of sports are. Um, But I now like the novel I'm writing right now, the manuscript I'm working on, um, I'm thinking of it a lot like a series of mountain biking trails to make sure that I am um, taking the reader um, up the elevation I need to, to bring them on the right descent when, when you need it. Those kind of thoughts are fun for me to, to marry those two um, passions really together.
1: Yeah. I loved, uh, yeah, the idea of, I think it was um, something about the, uh, the, lifelines
0: mm-hmm. yes. that you're
1: following in a story. And yes. that's, really, you know, a lot of authors talk about that. You're kind of like following this person into their life. And I was like, yeah, God, what a great mm-hmm. way to, to frame writing. And also, um, it's hard. <laughs> yes. like Mountain biking There's is hard. Writing involved. is very hard. And so it's like the resilience. And then you said being around those people who weren't writers but mm-hmm. were riders mm-hmm. gave you you know like motivation right
0: yeah absolutely you know a lot of the people who are now part of my um cycling community are people i knew my whole life but i didn't really know them well in this way and when you struggle up a mountain with somebody on a bike or you fly downhill you know inches from their tire you get to know them pretty pretty well so trust them too yes you have to trust them um and so it's it's been really fun to expand that community and learn from them Um, a lot of folk you just learn people's life stories in situations like that Um, and so that too has been a a real benefit yeah
1: and i know you i think you mentioned that there weren't many cherokee right mountain Mm -hmm. bikers out there Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, and, and I know this conflict for you has to be difficult to talk about of kind of you're the first published novelist from the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. So you feel I think at one point you wrote about feeling um, responsible mm-hmm. for telling the story of Cherokee mm-hmm. and that it's a burden in some ways, but it's also really beautiful. Responsibility. So, how do you reconcile with maybe being ordained by others (laughs) as you know a storyteller for your community?
0: Right. Yeah, it is. um, It's challenging. My my primary goal is to expand opportunities to tell our stories to other people in our community. So, a few things that that I try my best to focus on. um, For instance, if if I'm doing an interview with someone or or even writing an essay for someone and they're looking for photography or artwork to go with it, you know, I really do my best... Um, to introduce them to other local Cherokee artists and photographers and things like that. And then I've been really fortunate to work with our museum, the Museum of the Cherokee Indian, um, to start an uh, Indigenous Writers Workshop series called Confluence.
1: There we go. Yes,
0: there <laughs> it is. Um, and Confluence brings in indigenous authors from, ideally, it'll be all across the, well, maybe all across the globe eventually, but um, to work with our community um, in different genres. So it's open to anyone and it is free. Um, the priority for participant participant numbers is for um, cher- people from our Cherokee community, Um and we've had um, our first three riders come in. It just so happened, and then our fourth will come in in November. It just so happens that our first four riders are all Cherokee, um, whether we had an Eastern Band poet, and then the other riders are from Cherokee Nation in Oklahoma. And it's been, yeah, in some ways, it's been the easiest thing I've ever done. And the most impactful <laughs> thing I've ever done. Yeah, um, it's just it's it's been a blessing for for myself, for the museum, for the participants. And what I really love is seeing um, these writers from the Cherokee Nation come home again, and it's a really emotional experience for them. The best workshops I've ever sat in because everybody's really honest. We get rid of all of those superficial layers that often are present in workshops. Um, and so it's, it's been great. I'm just really thrilled to be a part of that.
1: Gosh, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I get chills thinking about that coming home and and that connection Mm -hmm. because so many people, it's hard to express themselves and feel safe in doing that. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and grounded, but being in that community, yeah, you said these are some of the most productive Mm -hmm. workshops because of that trust and that shared connection and that history. Um, so I'm curious though, what it's been like seeing, you know you write, you write stories for students mm-hmm. and now you're inviting more students to to write and or just tell stories how has it been seeing that process for some of them as a you look just because you don't teach formally anymore you're always going to be a teacher mm-hmm. that's the that's the lifelong thing mm-hmm. but yeah how how have you seen Students or young people evolve as you need more storytellers in Cherokee, mm-hmm. right?
0: Yeah, no, it's it's really exciting, um, and you know I have students that that do very different kinds of writing. I have a former student who um, is an an elk aficionado, um, so she works with the National Park Service and she she writes articles and takes takes photographs of the elk that's awesome (laughs) and they're beautiful um so you know i love seeing the different areas that people find their talent and i really do feel that we're having a major renaissance in arts in general uh on the koala boundary just contemporary arts we're finally not just catering to a tourist market that wants very traditional uh you know pottery and baskets and things like that we have these incredible contemporary artists who um, are helping us to spread the message that we are a vibrant living culture it's not past tense anymore and so um, you know these young people who are writing or are um, involved in other arts um, they're moving us into the present you know in the minds of the greater public which is Amazing.
1: I'm so glad you brought that up because I remember a line. I don't remember where I heard you say it, mm-hmm. but it stuck with me. That we need more Cherokee stories, not histories. Yes. yes. Talk about how important that distinction is for mm-hmm. you and your community. Sure. Like that art being contemporary.
0: Um. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've had a non-native person say to me, you should write a novel about the Trail of Tears. And (sighs) (laughs) I have said very publicly, and I'm glad this is recorded, I will never write a novel about the Trail of Tears. Um, That's not to say that that no one should. um, But our uh, presence in popular culture for for so long has been the past tense of us, right? Um, It's safer to think about Native people in history um, so we don't have to deal with with contemporary Native American Mm -hmm. communities and what that means for the United States in general. Um, And so... I you know well in in the book it, it kind of addresses this as well, um, and I've talked about this before that even even if we think about um, for example um, that Native American human remains are considered artifacts, right? Yeah, yeah they're in museums. And this, and I am not exaggerating, not long ago, got a call from a friend, and I won't give you the details, but they were cleaning out um, a museum that was moving, and there was just a a box of human remains, and it was labeled Native Bones. Wow. Um, so, you know, the difference in, in being considered an artifact and a human um, is the difference in are we past tense, are we something to be studied as Extinct, um, or are we a living, vibrant culture? Wow,
1: and that goes with your whole thing of like the the body, mm-hmm. right? It holds the story. It's like these are not just dead historical bodies, right. right? This is a vibrant culture that deserves to be heard in the now. Right? Gosh, that's wow. And and it goes along too with the the exhibition at the the museum, right?
0: Yes, uh-huh. we're
1: talking about returning mm-hmm. what was stolen. Yes, these uh, you know, treasures that people took. Mm-hmm. and uh you know yeah that's a really important point. um I guess the last thing I would want to ask you is uh you know your new your new endeavor <laughs> with your next novel uh-huh. we've talked about this before. you have a ton of support from the writing communities mm-hmm. that you've built over time. Um, what are you hoping for in telling this story that that maybe is is different than the first one because it's a real challenge to do a second novel? Or just tell me about that process you're going through right now.
0: Sure. Yes. I keep saying I'm very close to finishing <laughs> the the manuscript, but I think I've been very close for a while. Um, it is challenging because I, ha- I I try to really listen to that, that community of writers and their experience. And so many have talked about a second novel Um and how they struggled with it. And so I've tried to give myself the time and not to rush it. There's a lot of pressure to to finish the second. Um, but this story in particular, it's a contemporary set uh, in Cherokee. It deals with Cherokee politics, um, but also um, federal politics and state politics, which are always shifting. And so I want to be very careful that I am telling a story that um, – that will live past this decade, right? Um, and that is, is rooted in those values um, and how we use values to address whatever the politics are at the time. Um, and so I, you know, I think that that's the challenge for me is to to not get distracted by what's in the news today and to just really dig down surface level what does this news say about our values as Cherokees, as North Carolinians, as Americans? And how is that all working together? Um, and, and so, um, you know, I have to get it right. I can't get this wrong. Um, yeah. And so I just want to make sure that I take my time with it and, um, and of course, talk to the people who are living it daily.
1: I just talked to to Jamila about this with Alabama, and just mm. yeah, it's just same thing—you can't get it wrong, yeah. because as we talked about when we hiked a few weeks ago, right? You want your people, your community, to love it mm-hmm. and to feel heard and valid, and that's the most important thing. Because if you write another book that they love,
0: that's the goal, right? That's absolutely the goal. I think I told you I need to walk into Food Lion <laughs> <laughs> and not worry about what somebody's going to say to me. It's yeah. the
1: most practical thing, but it's also the one that keeps you honest and, and focused on who the story. It's really for just like you know, all those years ago when you wrote Even As We Breathe. And um, like I said, I mean, this is just such a a wonderful connection to make with you after all these years. I'm very privileged to know you and to have oh, read your maybe. book. Um, I will give it to as many people as far and wide <laughs> as I can. And I can't wait for the second novel to come out whenever it does, whenever you're ready. Because yes. we know it's going to be
0: Thank you very much. And we should hike again sometime.
1: I'm always there. Let's do it. (laughs) See you back in North Carolina. Yeah,
0: absolutely. (laughs) Thanks,
1: Annette. Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's literary lawn party.